You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Hello there and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today I'm talking to Matt Winning, or to give him his full scientific title, Dr. Matthew Winning, who lives an incredible double life. Uh, He is not only a very funny, brilliant stand-up comedian whose last show at the Edinburgh Festival reduced me to tears in two different ways... He's also a proper climate change scientist. He's a professional climate change researcher. And we're going to talk about maintaining optimism, not just about the climate itself, but maintaining optimism as an artist when your crises are about something a little bit more meaningful in comedy. We're going to talk about how to make a show educational without being worthy and how to survive as a comic when you're not motivated to quit your day job. There's loads of fascinating stuff to dig into here. You might remember uh, when I saw Matt's show, I think I did a post-amble all about it uh, last, um, whenever it was, September that probably came out, because I was so profoundly affected by the science of climate change as brought to life in a really evocative and pretty terrifying way by Matt. And I also just want to uh, caveat this. It's it's the opposite of a caveat. Uh, Can't do it fast enough in my head. But... It's not a warning about bleakness. Uh, it is a... a uh, What's the opposite of a warning? It's a, a promotion. Oh, God, come on. What, what's the opposite of a warning? It's a, a herald. <laughs> God, my mind. Uh, it's a whatever the opposite of a warning is, that we are not going to be too depressing, I hope, in this episode. It's neutral. It's not a warning. It's simply a notice. Bits of it are bleak bits of it are hopeful and we will talk about how to stay optimistic about the climate if you would like to join the insiders club if you're already a member uh, you can find 25 minutes of extras available exclusively to you including matt on coming out as a scientist in comedy we'll talk about how his love of the surreal can sometimes clash with the mainstream direction of this newfound mission of his and we get a morsel just a morsel of the inside story on the infamous Bear Pit Podcast podcast. That's the first mention, I think, uh, on this show of the Bear Pit Podcast podcast. But there's a very funny story about why it came to be called that. Uh, and also, I won't go into detail on that. It's the sort of thing insiders would know about. It's a sort of super nerdy, let's call it the super clump of its day. A niche reference within a niche reference. This is Matt Winning. So we're talking about quite mad stuff. Like, yeah, and, and that permeates your work as well. It's not simply, it's not like a funny TED talk about climate change because you are, you've got your own sort of um, uh, voice as a comic. There's a lot of quite weird, yeah. surreal jokes in there as well. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, the, the sort of comedy I've been doing or had been doing until recently was fairly surreal and not necessarily about anything in particular. In fact, the point of it was probably that it wasn't about anything. And I've now tried to take that, what I've done and tried to put it into something that's really meaningful, you know, or has a has a real point to it. Yes, which has been quite interesting in terms of how to do that. Because you are uh, certainly, from what I know of what you say on stage during the shows, you are kind of 
I, and I, I don't know the, the extent to which this is true of the climate change research community. You're kind of, I'm going to use the phrase morbidly obsessed and terrified, right? Like, I, yeah. I, what I felt like happened, and I don't mean, I don't mean wrongly. I yeah. mean, but you know the fucking stuff, right? Yeah. You oh, know yeah. how terrified we should be. Yeah. And me, I was sat next to Annie McGrath. We laughed, and then we kind of looked at each other like, holy shit, and I don't know about her, but I've got children. I walked out in tears. Like, I, I was properly, that, and that's the big effect it's had on me. It's like, oh, this is, you talked in the show about wanting to move audiences from a state of concern yep. to a state of alarm. Which is like a reference to a sort of in, an index of how engaged people are. Yeah. And what's really fascinating about the show is that throughout it, you are talking about your and, and through your previous shows, which I've seen, you are talking about your own alarm, and it's a very personal story. It's not simply mm-hmm. some facts and figures made funny. There is also the story of your increasing awareness of it, your increase, increasing sense of responsibility of wanting to uh, simultaneously reduce your own carbon footprint but being aware of how little that does in the yeah. grand scheme of things. Yeah. So none of that is a question, but talk about that. But no, you're right. It's it's very much about, because when you do, you write a show, whatever, it very much has to be from your own point of view. And it has to be about, you know, you, it has to be about a person because, you, again, you come to watch a comedian to because you're interested more so, I think, in who that per you know, part of it is the jokes and part of it is who the person is. And I feel like, especially given how heavy the topic is, you need to personalise it quite a lot in order to get people to stay with it. Otherwise, it's just like fact, 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 joke, joke, joke. And it can get a bit overwhelming. I'd say I've had two two people have breakdowns with what I would consider like... And one was maybe like... Mid-show, post-show. One was like a 20-year-old girl, maybe. And one was like a 70-year-old Australian man. And both of them were 2017. And it was both of them, I think, weren't hugely into the topic or anything, but had come along to the show and were just sort of, I guess, felt stunned into the, I guess, the incongruity, I don't know how to say the word, incongruity between me being incredibly flippant one second and then incredibly serious the other, or the information being incredibly serious and just going back and forth and back and forth. And it just clearly after a while overwhelmed them so much that they had to interrupt the show to, to say to me, I can't handle, like I can't handle this anymore. God. And then sort of like talk to them about it, if you know what I mean. Okay. And then that, these weren't like, I'm making this out like I've got really, like there was probably about 15 people in both of these shows. Sure. But, but they felt like it was affecting them so much that they had to like stop and yeah say something, I guess. And I tried to talk about it and be like, well, you know, I can only do this because I've, this is what I do every day. Like you're experiencing this now, but I, this is me every day. And so this is me trying to deal with this. Yeah. Essentially, me, you know, I'm, I'm trying to deal with this by talking about it and I can be flippant about it because I know it so well and I'm sort of like, Sure. Where if you don't, it can just seem like a bit like, why is this guy trying to be funny about this? Yes. And also, I mean, I would imagine, like, were I to have a breakdown during one of your shows, I would imagine it would be more to do with the sort of the inescapableness of the science. Mm -hmm. Like the the, the part of your show that I've been, like the factual part of it that I've been quoting to everyone uh, since watching it is, I suppose the, the, the terms in which I've been catching it is, I, before seeing that show, I had this kind of awareness that, like, 
climate change is terrible yeah. and it's man-made and it's looking very bleak and, oh, shit, I've had kids and I'm a bit worried. Yeah. Right? Because because uh, I think uh, we are more and more realising that this is a, a very real thing that not only is it definitely happening, but I feel very powerless yeah. in the face huge of, powerless. you know, huge national cor- multinational corporations or countries doing exactly what they want in a way I can't ever affect. Yeah. I feel, as you say hugely powerless <laughs> potential show title next <laughs> um, and uh, and so what i've been saying is i think that previously i'd seen it as it, it was kind of very hazy it felt like oh you know climate change yeah. global warming uh, seas kind of rise and what is the sun explodes something bad happens yeah. you know and then in watching your show one of the the most vivid things to me was this idea that the the difference in the war in Syria having displaced 5 million refugees, yeah. we see what that's done to the world and nationalism and populism and, and people drawing up their borders and then bartering on the basis of, you know, mm-hmm. Turkey threatening to let immigrants through, all those kind of huge kind of uh, geopolitical things, that by, is it 2050 or yeah. horribly soon? Yeah, 2050, by 2050, 30 years. we're expecting uh, climate change to have created 200 million refugees. Yeah. And that was like, oh, it's not about... I mean, the climate is an issue. Oh, the yes. weather is an issue. Yeah. But it's also about the knock-on effects of what the world is going to look like. And I suppose the, the thing it most reminded me was that the um, the movie Children of Men, where there are camps in Dover, and, it, you know, and yeah. it's horrific. Yeah. And you sort of go, oh, that's going to happen. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's already beginning to already happen. And it's just going to sort of increase as people can't eat or can't deal with, you know, what's happening to where as they live. People are going to have to move because large swathes of the world are going to become uninhabitable. And it might not, you know, it's the level of uninhabitableness of certain areas that will be the issue. Like, it's something, some bad stuff is going to happen. Yeah. And it's just, people have this very like, is it, are we screwed or is everything going to be fine? Yeah. And I'm like, there's an infinitesimal amount of, shitness in the middle between those two points yes and we are going to be somewhere within that yeah and where we land in that is a question of how how quickly everybody gets on board and how much is done like yeah everything every single decision that every person on the planet makes from now for the next 30 years and especially in the next 10 years matters enormously and it's not just people it's you know but well as you say it's corporations and it's government but those again are run by people yeah so it's easy to see corporations as this thing or whatever or or uh, you know capitalism is the but again all of it is people and people's vested interests in the system that we have or in making money from a thing that they you know this huge it, it all comes back to people again and personalizing the messages and trying to make it Human for people is really important. And stop talking about like poor, but nobody gives a shit about polar bears. But people have talked to the polar bears about climate change for the last 20 years. Are you saying polar bears? Polar bears. Poor, poor, poor. It's like the pole bearers. Pole bearers, yeah. <laughs> Fuck those guys. <laughs> swap them with you're the polar bears. You're from Paisley, and yeah. you're. I, the accent. There's a few words that I literally cannot. Fuck. What word are you saying? Polar yeah. bears. Polar bears. Polar Polar bears. <laughs> Thank you for uh, allowing me to reduce you to the level of I swear, I was listening back to one of your shows online, oh, yeah. and I genuinely thought you were talking. You were quoting someone, and you, I genuinely thought he was talking about pole bearers. I, I thought I'd missed a bit. <laughs>
Um, I, yeah, I, th- I think I've got one of the softest Scottish accents you'll find as it's well. It's very soft. And it's a, it's a. I always get Irish. I was in London and I always get, are you Irish? And then. Because I, it's a very mellifluous I think Scot. so, yeah. yeah. And then I say, no Scottish. And they go, oh, right, oh, okay. And I'm like, oh. Okay, fine. <laughs> Another great London interaction. Yes. So to to ensure that people at this stage aren't by now feeling so hopeless that they switch off. Yeah, I did do comedy as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that must be part of it, right? That must be part. If we talk about your mission, because I feel like... You think it's a mission? It feels like a mission. Do you see it as a mission? Yeah, I guess so. Part of the mission must be treading... Uh, deftly such that people don't switch off from the mission yeah. because I mean it's it would be much easier to put your fingers in your ears and go la 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 and th- or look at this mate he, you know yeah, yeah. S- smear you or yeah. if you'd like to smear Matt Winnick please uh, <laughs> send your smears I'm to sure info I'm sure it's going to happen um, so do you need to pepper the work that you do with with optimism not just jokes or are the jokes enough Oh, no, yeah, optimism as well. And, yeah, the show, the last 10 to 15 minutes of the show, I try to make it optimistic. And I try to say you to that. try to make it optimistic, does that optimism reflect a I, genuine optimism that you've uh, <laughs> <laughs> No? Mm, probably not. I mean, I can trick myself into it. No, not necessarily. I'd say this year's show was less so. I'd say the last two shows that I've done were more optimistic. Or I'd say that I've got... So I've done three shows now on climate change, and I'd say they've got maybe progressively more... darker, but but more sort of... Seeing what I can take away from or remove from the sugar-coatedness of it to see what still works. Sure. So how dark... Or how honest or open can I be and still have people enjoy themselves? I think Stu Law said he was recommending your show at the festival this year, early early on in the month, and he said something like, oh, it's really interesting because he's kind of changed his angle now to, I've been telling you pricks this for years and you're not listening. <laughs> Do you mean that kind of like, it's yeah. actual, it's yeah. anger rather than despair? Maybe. Yeah. No, I would say so. I'd say this year was more angry, but also... The fact that I've been doing it for three years means that I need to find a different angle on how I, even it's just the material, you know, it's to find a different way of delivering the material as well. And also a little bit like, I'd quite like to move on and do something else a little bit from a comedian, your comedic perspective. Mm -hmm. I've still like what, as much as there is like a message to this or me wanting to achieve something, there's a huge part of me underneath who's like, I am a comedian and I want to be a comedian. Yes, and, you and want it to I, be your your other thing rather than yeah, the same thing. Yeah, and I get quite. It's not much of a break from no, climate that, change. This, <laughs> this, I just had a month off because I think I was struggling a bit with. I was just exhausted because it's like just I was I, I had during the summer I had a report that was due that was like I was working on for six months and a new show to write and I was launching. I got some money to launch a podcast as well. And all of that was happening at the exact same time. So I was basically doing three, I would say, full-time things for several months and then did the French and then came back and did another. And so for the last couple of months, I've just been like, I need a little bit of a break from working, but also thinking about this all the time. It gets a bit overwhelming. And I definitely found that 
being more, I guess, angry or open about it this year in the show was quite tough going because Edinburgh's hard enough yeah. as it is without then... My, you know, my break from the whole industry thing was thinking about climate change. Yeah. Or my break from thinking about climate change is how is this called my comedy career? It's all pretty heavy going, I think. And so it's how, you know, I, I think I just need to start taking more regular breaks in order to cope with it properly. I will not stop thinking and talking about climate change until we have changed climate change. Yeah, I know. But... um I can't remember what your original question was. It may not have been. That's all right. So let's talk about how you started getting into comedy in the first place. Okay. Because most comics, if they have a regular job, yeah. aim to try and quit it. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, I could have, I could. there's several points along the way where I could have thought about doing that. Okay. But I don't, I mean, you'd have to be pretty selfish. <laughs> to give up doing something good for the world. <laughs> yeah, right. Most, okay, let's put that question the other way around. Uh, and also, would be to say uh, most climate change researchers wouldn't be selfish enough to be comedians. Yes. Is probably. that fair? In the same yeah, way yeah, as yeah. most comedians aren't kind of yeah. uh, focused enough on a greater good. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that's probably true. I'd say I'm probably the most selfish. I could be one of, yeah, the, least, uh, the most selfless comedians, but I'm one of the most selfish Climate researchers are definitely. That's like the barefoot executive. Yeah, yeah. Selfish climate change researcher. Nice branding. Okay, so there have been, um, been points along the way. Well, yeah. I mean, so I uh, got into comedy uh, 2009, I started, and I did a comedy course in Glasgow. So I did three years on the circuit in Scotland. Okay. Um, and I had started my PhD at that time. We can talk about how I get into that. I mean, it's. I started a PhD nine months before, had moved back in with my parents for the first time in eight years, seven years, whatever it was, had broken up with a long-term partner and was very much like, I need, I used to play bands and stuff as well, but I didn't really want to do that because all my friends were still, oh, it's something of my own that I was in control of that would get me out of the house in the evening yeah, and give some sort of, meaning or, or some sort of fun to what I was doing. And I was I actually played in a band very briefly for the first maybe six months while I was also the six months doing open spots and stuff like that. And then, uh, yeah, and then that sort of took over. And then the, the first like three years, 2010, 2011, 2012, I got to the final of the Chortle Student Comedy Awards two mm-hmm. years in a row. And then the final of the BBC New Comedy Awards. Uh, the old PhD angle. A while doing PhD. <laughs> I mean, I'm, enter the Student Comedy Awards as many years as you like yeah. by taking on something difficult that takes years to learn. Exactly. So, I mean, all of the, most of those people are still doing comedy and they were all like five years younger than me and now have fantastic comedy Who shows. was that gang? Who was it? Oh, um, I'm sure Hess was part of it. Uh, Phil Wang okay. won it the year I was in it. Uh, Ian Smith. Gad, Rich Gad was in it. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember. Mark Smith. I'm trying to remember who else. There's loads. Okay. Mostly men. Okay. And uh, I remember I did do a joke. So, so <laughs> I don't know if you could do this. There's lots of stuff that I've done. I'm like, I don't know if you could do this anymore. I uh, got to the final in 2011, dressed up as Steffi Graf, and did just jokes about tennis 
and graphs with a flip chart. <laughs> Somehow got to the final with that, and then made a comment about how I was the only woman in the final. <laughs> <laughs> um, having gone to the final the previous year with like my old, being me, yeah, and yeah. then I was just like, I'm just going to enter it for a joke this year. Okay, got to the final again. Okay, um, <laughs> and then yeah, and then the BBC thing, and then I moved to London pretty much at the exact same time. So I finished my PhD. Yeah. And got to the final of the BBC thing about the exact same time in 2012. Okay. Then that was quite a shift because then I moved, I'd finished what I was doing, starting a new job that was like a shift and a different circuit, which I don't know if anyone's ever talked. Well, I guess people have talked a bit about moving, like, for, I guess you've had like folk on from Canada that have come over. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Even within the UK. Yeah. It was quite a shift from going from like a cir- one circuit to trying to break into. Yeah, okay. Another circuit. Okay. Because I did all of the people that I'd sort of grown, you know, when you're an open spot for like what, three years, mm. you sort of grow up with everyone and everybody knows each other and you sort of grow up together and then you move somewhere else. And then all the open spots, they know each other. And you're yeah. just this weird guy that's come in that's kind of a bit too sure of himself because he's got to finals of competitions or whatever, but nobody knows who you are. And and you, you, you're slightly out with the circuit mm. because of that. And so, yeah, I probably spent the next few years in London trying to kind of do bits on the circuit and around the UK. Um, not really writing enough because I was still doing a job and didn't really understand how much time I'd had to write when I was doing my PhD that I yes. didn't have time yes. to write. Yes, that's the. Uh, I think that's the yeah. perennial cry of the the comedian a few years in. Yeah, look at yeah. all that wasted time. Yeah, yeah, huge. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I, did, I was clearly enjoying it when I was doing my PhD. I was like, oh, I'm going to go to the library and I'll do some work for an hour, and then I'll write some comedy for an hour, and then I'll. Yeah, um, yeah and so I probably died on my arse for about three years in London trying to work out how to do weird stuff. And Did you have any favourite rooms that, that it would work in that you felt um, like this is, you know, that you could boss a particular room or, you know, be in a, a sort of a, a safer creative place? At that point in time, I don't know. I mean, in Scotland, I'd, I started, I'd, like I'd done the stand and go out. It was like seven months until I'd done like the stand night or the red raw nights in, in Glasgow and Edinburgh, like the kind of the main things as a new act. The intake, do, yeah. yeah. But by the time I'd started already in like 2009, it was like a seven-month waiting list or something. But I actually went and did loads of gigs before doing that. So then when I went and did them, I'd already, like, you were already easily the best person on the show. Sure, bill. okay. Um, so that was good, like, I guess, as an early one. And then, but in London, I don't know. I liked doing up the creek uh, and a few other... Places, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to remember what other rooms. I'd started doing like the Hob and a few other places like that, and I didn't find anywhere was like super easy. I'm sure as soon as we finish this conversation, mm-hmm. there'll be like two places that come back to me, like, oh, that's the best, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's always some nice rooms. But then I'd go and do like uh, lots of comedy network gigs in places where I'd be like opening, doing the opening twenty minutes in Hereford and just dying um and trying to work out how to do weird stuff properly so i probably spent a few years there 
just trying to work out how to make weird stuff work and trying to get enough, trying to go from like a good 10 minute open spot, maybe 15 to like actually having a decent 20 minutes. And there's yeah. people all around me who'd, who'd been doing, I think it took me quite a while to work out how to do an hour of material. Whereas I saw other people around me just going from like five minutes to an hour as if that was like, you know, an extra five minutes rather than an extra whatever. Possibly people who didn't have day jobs. Yes, exactly. In some cases. Well, yeah, I'd imagine a lot of them didn't have day jobs or didn't have to have day jobs Mm -hmm. or that sort of thing, you know. Um, Yeah, so I think it's taken quite a while to, I've always found it tough because I've had to actually do all of the work on top of it. And, and then you have to be pretty motivated to do it. And I don't have that motivation. I think a lot of people benefit from the motivation of, like, I've got a shit job and I'd quite like to give up this shit job to do comedy because it's this aspirational thing. And they have lots of motivation because yeah. they've got all of the like the fun motivation, but also probably the financial motivation and yeah, every like and those people I think while clearly it's I'm, I'm not I'm no way whatsoever saying I have it uh, you know any worse than than they do. I, you know I clearly have, have have you know things are pretty good for me, but from a comedic perspective is all I would say is that I'd say it's slightly easier when you're just like, Oh, there's no other option. This is what I need to do. I'm going to go ahead and do this. Yeah. Let's go. And whereas I'm always like, yeah, I need to do this, but I've also got this paper and I should maybe spend this weekend or my spare time trying to progress my career a bit or to do something. Yeah. Because, and it comes back to that, that thing that is very unusual about you, I think in comedy terms, you want to do your job. Yeah. Your job is not just a job. It's not just no. a means to an end, nor is it, uh, like in terms of paying the bills, nor is it a sort of a career or security thing so much as it's kind of a personal mission. Is yeah, I'd say it's fair. I'd say it's half a mission, half a security thing. Sure. I'd say half of it is that, you know, I'm not, I don't come from a particularly wealthy. Like, no one in my family does, is an academic either. Like, being an academic was weird for my family then deciding to be an academic and a comedian if i then decided to just become a comedian i think i would have been like it'd have been like you'd have broken what are you yeah exactly yeah (laughs) Yeah. so but but you did say um, uh, earlier that you you'd say i'd have to be pretty selfish to give up on the uh Mm. the environment in order to do comedy and i think that just the fact that you couch it in those terms says quite a lot about how you value the day job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I still think it's incredibly, like, I feel quite, yeah, passionate about what I do. And also, I feel like there's an important, like, regardless of what I think I did in the world, I'd need it to feel some sort of level of, like, meaning. Like, I, so I worked for an investment bank for a year as well, at one point, and I gave that up because I was like, I don't really... This is a lot of work for a lot of money for something that I don't really care about. And I kept going to like interviews as well. So I went back to university for a bit and then I went for interviews for other investment banks and stuff. I kept at the end of the interviews, they would, or like the feedback would always be like, you seem really competent, but you just don't really seem like you really want to do this. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. thank God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Whereas 
I feel like I've always found a job or something that I'm like, yeah, I really yeah. think there's a part. Like the days where you're struggling, at least you're like, but there's a purpose to this. Yes. And the days where you're enjoying it is good as well because you're like, you know, in your floor or whatever, you feel like you're achieving something. To, to ask a provocative question of someone infinitely more qualified than me who has a real job, which I don't. Uh-huh. In terms of the, just, just to look again at that sentence that it would be selfish of me, you'd need to be pretty selfish to walk away from this. Do you feel like it will make any difference to climate change, whether you personally keep doing this job or not? No. This specific job? No. There's other people that are equally as qualified as me to do this job, which is why I think the finding doing comedy about this is actually where I can have more of an actual impact on things. Yes, because which, you're in a category of one. Yes. Are you? Like, I can't think of anyone else. Say so, yeah. yeah. There's other people. There was, a, there was a, a few other shows this year that were like, oh, but yeah. I, sure, in I, terms I, of having the actual stoves to back it up, you, you could exactly. be. No, there's yeah, there's yeah. room for you to be the Brian Cox of yeah. comedy slash climate change. Yeah. So is that the new plan? Yes. And I would say... But, it's not necessarily, like, from a comedic point of view, I would still like to go and do lots of other stuff. Yes, that's I'd quite really, a conflicting I'd really like thing, to. Isn't it? But from a financial point of view and from an achievement point of view, it very much, I'm like, I can achieve important stuff here yeah. and probably make a decent living doing this. But I'd also quite like to pretend to be an egg for... 10 minutes on a Tuesday night. So this is Matt. Tremendous fun talking to him. And thank you very much uh, to Matt for coming on the show and also for hosting us in an extremely... I'm going to use the word dingy. Poor bastard. Well, I mean, he really, you could tell his commitment to his cause because he spends most working hours underground in Euston, in, uh, not in some sort of glittering facility that you would hope would have been provided by the government for people researching the climate, um, but just sort of, I mean, you know, a <laughs> great corridor with strip lights in it. Bless you, Matt. Um, it, it was, uh, it, I mean, it continues to be a really interesting conversation. We'll get back to it in just a second. Tiny bit of blurb. Uh, I have one date left. The last couple of shows I've done have been sellouts. We sold out Caution. We sold out Farnham Maltings. Thank you so much to everyone that came along to that. And if you were at that show, uh, thank you so much for your response to the second half. I've had some lovely emails from people who came to see that. The second half is partly what was Primer last year at the Edinburgh Festival, my work in progress. And it's the bones of what will be the show this year. Uh, at the Edinburgh Festival and it's I found a new way to talk about a thing and it really it really worked in the moment and then it kind of started working like in retrospect I'm like oh that's a real that's a real threat so I'm really really grateful to those of you that came to that the 28th of February is the final show of the tour I'm at the Cambridge Junction it's going to be glorious Uh, we're in the big room which you might have heard me talk about the last show it's a huge room it's slightly less huge than I realised and it is well over halfway sold out so halfway sold out (laughs) there you go natural bond marketer Um, it's well over halfway sold so 
if you are in or around the Cambridge area, please don't miss that. It's going to be a lovely, huge show to finish the run on, and I absolutely can't wait. So thanks very much to everyone who's already bought tickets. Uh, if you have already bought tickets, why not try convincing friends to come to it? It's a cracking hour. I'm not touring next year, so the second half as well is going to be completely fresh and virginal and exciting. I can't wait to get the new stuff on its feet in a really big room. So comedianscomedian.com slash tour, or indeed simply Google Cambridge Junction Goldsmith Comedy or some... I mean, you're grown-ups. You know how to how to Google things. So you can hear uh, in my recording <laughs> my recording van, Van Studios, uh, which uh, more than makes up in uh, carpeted walls for what we're currently suffering in terms of that storm that we had. What is it, Kira or Kiara or something? Uh, which is currently blowing... Uh, well, it's not blowing a gale. It's blowing a storm. It's blowing all around me. Let's get back to Matt winning. Save us, Matt. Okay, let's follow that idea for the moment. So you, it's, yep. it's stripped down. It's TEDx. Where does that go? Do you have you looked into the possibilities for that? Like, do you is there a living to be made visiting uh, conferences all over the country talking in a funny way about climate change? Yeah, I mean, I'm doing. Is it, I'd say over the last year as well, especially, I have shifted from do like I've basically stopped doing circuit gigs. Which I was definitely still doing, like you know, doing a year, year and a half ago, and I'm now doing, I'd say a lot less, but I'm doing like festivals and talks and corporate things and sign, you know, whatever it is, and I'm making considerably more money doing that. <laughs> um, and and there's a benefit, but I mean, some of those are quite tough because I'm doing like events where it's like this person's going to give a talk about climate change. Yeah. Uh, and it's really serious and then you're going to come on for 15 minutes and make everyone in the audience laugh like i did a thing like it's still about climate change. it's still about climate change yeah. but for the first five minutes of that i have to be like bang bang like nobody laughs for five minutes yeah and then for the next 10 minutes or whatever the talk people get on board and laugh. yeah and it's always fine but it's almost always exactly the same like i did a thing at the barbican a f- couple months ago and it was maybe like i don't know say one and a half thousand people or something and I'm, I was like straight on cold there's nobody warming up nobody mm-hmm. nothing oh we're having a thing tonight welcome to the stage this guy like and everybody's there they're all I think they were all architects and it's like a really serious sort of a you know event where everybody's like and I care about climate change this is an important issue yeah. and then I come on and I'm like hey Chernobyl binges yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly um so that then requires, I mean, I, what I do is just really power through and load it full of the most accessible stuff at this first for the first five minutes and just be like, bam, 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 bam. The most bam, accessible bam. jokes, presumably, yes. rather than the most accessible science. Oh, jokes, yeah. I mean, I still view it all in terms of, like, what you would do with a, a set. It has to have the structure of a talk, but it has to be, like, the same structure structure that you would structure a comedy set like if you're doing 15 minutes somewhere you need to like start really strong make sure you end strong is quite tough because you always like try to end strong but then actually end slightly serious and optimistic so it's, sure. a, it's a lot, almost like yeah because yeah. you don't want to get a big like a huge laugh out of how fucked we are yeah and then everyone get a big laugh in the room and, and then, then miserable and yeah so it's, it's almost the exact same as a normal stand-up set apart from finish strong but strong from a emotional point of view yeah yeah okay <laughs> and then walk off 
Um, so yeah, I'm doing quite a lot of stuff like that. I, I don't know how much there is. 40 minutes, the species dies. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, there's. I, I don't know how much there is out there. My worry is, I don't. I am coming at this very much from a co- comics point of view. Like, I still consider myself a comedian who's done comedy for a decade, yeah. and I'm interested in being a comedian. But now I'm like, oh, but I, I should probably position myself not as a comedian, but as like a. I think that would have a certain elegance to it because then you turn up and be the funniest thing ever yeah. rather than them going, but, oh, here's the comedy guy now. But there's still the part of me that's like, I'd like to be a caster or kids. You know, there's still that. Of course. But, but you have to almost like just be ready to chop the head off of that part of your ambition or your... Which I think I'm I'm pretty much there, but you have to be... I've, I'd say I've let go of like 90% of my ego and like ambitions and stuff but there's probably still like a small 10 percent that would be like yeah but i'm not one of these sciencey people i'm a comedian yes, i'm one of these yes, i'm sure. you, i'm i'd hang out with goldsmith i wouldn't hang out with brian cox sure is what sure, sure and so i that bit is the hard bit i think for me to like go of i don't want and also don't want to like like comedy is good and i really like lots of the people that are involved in it and i would be quite you know, I, I don't want to like go of the the culture and the yeah. what I get out of it. Whenever the, I've had the seditious, the kind of treachery, the mm. sort of oh god, maybe I just you know the the, yeah. the long dark drives yeah. of the soul. When yeah. you think, I mean, is it really for the next for the rest of my life? I do always have that like flash forward vision of thinking, well, there's me. I've stopped comedy and I'm doing something else, oh, but I'm still a comedian. I mean, I still yeah, like yeah, I'm yeah, part yeah. of exactly. the thing, yeah, surely. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So maybe it's a case, or maybe what would be useful following this track would be if you regard it as a, a sort of a, a trick that you're playing on them, that you're you're yeah. a comedian operating as if you're not a comedian, like you're wearing the cloak of yeah. science, but actually as a comedian out of there, it's going to... Yeah, I, th- I think that's pretty much, that is what I'm doing. I think I'm tricking them already because some of the reviews I had this year were basically like, oh, he's not really, he's not a stand-up comedian. And I mean, it's just bad reviewers, but, but I was like, and it doesn't, that irritates me. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah. but I am playing the part. Like, yes. I know how to do comedy. Yes. I am intentionally not doing that. It's a much better than, sell if the story is climate change scientist, because, Dr. Winning, yeah. took to the stage to, to do this. People, and bloody yeah. hell, it's the funniest thing ever. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. shouldn't be being reviewed in the comedy stuff. Yeah. You shouldn't be in the comedy section. You should be a stealth yeah. comic. But that that's yeah. What but then that's the hard thing to let go. Of it's hard to let go. That's your identity. It annoys me that people think comedy's that fucking easy. That yeah. Some sort of <laughs> climate scientist can just get up and do it rather than doing the circuit for a decade. Sure. And then that's the thing. People are just like, oh, so you just started doing comedy about climate change? I was like, no, I went and died for, <laughs> and did the fringe every year for ten years to get to this stage. Like yeah. you had to learn comedy before. Yeah. And but, people, but that is your. You have to keep know, the secret. Know, know, you have to keep the secret. And like every good compare, you have to take that on the chin when they go, "Oh, you're good. You should be a comedian." Yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. the same yeah, thing. You're right. You're right. Actually, I need that's the way. That's a good way of viewing it. And maybe I'll be able to just sort of like have that in my head. Yeah, I needed. I needed like a bit of a trick that I can play on myself. Yeah, like, yeah, I think so. So okay, so that's one of the that's one of the tracks. Another track you were saying about collaborating or looking at the same stuff. But with a from a different viewpoint. Yeah, but I mean, I think comedy is a hugely uh, useful way, like tool, and to to tackle the subject. 
And I think there's a huge amount of potential for it. Um, and I'm interested in looking at that scope because it, otherwise, if I'm going to be this guy or if I'm going to do comedy about this, it, it, it would be very easy to just get into the trick of I'd do the same type of thing again and again and again. And actually, it's about how can we make lots of stuff about this topic in diff- and you're going to have to work in different ways to make stuff about the topic because people don't want to see the exact same thing again and again. So sure. so it's almost coming up with loads of ideas of ways of yes. attacking. You've got, to, the, uh, you've got to abandon it. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, 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 he's yeah, got yeah. all the skill sets. Amazing. You watch him do the same show forever. Yeah. But no, this time he's got exactly. a vocoder. Yeah. This time it's Vegas. This time it's... Um, so there's yeah, yeah 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 so there's probably a way of doing that but then it's not even it's like the live show but could it be a different like could it be there's a podcast and there's a you know a, some sort of documentary type more theater type thing or is yeah. there a way of doing you know so yeah i'm sort of I, I guess that over the next kind of year or so that's what i'm interested in focusing on is like how how what else could we do on this topic and you know who else could i work with or who else is interested in it or whatever to like explore it. Cause again, that's about, you know, I, I I don't think, uh, you know, you have meetings with like people, radio and TV people and stuff and and whatever. And they're like, Oh yeah, this would be good. It'll make a good TV program. But I'm also, but I also keep trying to make, speak to people and be like, it's also by far and away the most important thing that anyone could do right now is to make this stuff accessible to like, I don't think you, you realize how much actual importance or, you know, or effect that you and your job could have yeah. to affect real change by making, because that, that's the problem is this distance between like the science and it being part of, everybody needs to have that moment that you said you had earlier on where it yeah. feels like it clarifies in your head. Totally. And, and, and how do you get the public to do that through media and communicate like TV and re- whatever it is. That's the only way of, of, doing this and whether it's coming to see a show or whether it's so because i've already just to, just to interject i mean interrupt the uh, like i'm already excitedly giddy now about the idea of workshopping where yeah. this can go yeah. and i've forgotten the horror that i need to remember <laughs> so it's not necessarily useful to have the horror all the time no. you've got to be able to live yeah. Right? yeah yeah and i know that's something that you have struggled with you've talked about that on stage wondering whether or not to have a kid yeah desperately you said in 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 the show last year um one of the things you always known about yourself is that you really want to have a kid yeah and the decision to to, to whether or not to do that yeah 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 it's a huge one that i think i've been specifically because having not covered the science in this part of the interview so yeah. far specifically not less to do with what a world we're bringing them into but the carbon implification. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a doctorate. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I guess it's from both points of view. You know, you're bringing, you, what kind of a world are you bringing children into? And also, should you be bringing more children into the world? And is that going to help? Like, I think it's a, some, uh, it, you know, that the show that I did last year, 2018, was an exploration of just me trying to work out what I actually thought about that mm. and sort of doing it through the medium of a show. Um, yeah, and I think it's pretty interesting. I mean, the, the end point I would like to say is just that, like, the, or the, the thing that I came to at the end was just like, if you want to have no kids, that's fine. But if you do want to have kids, 
just have better kids. <laughs> and and I still, like from a scientific point of view, stand by that. Better kids, kids that are going to care and make a difference. Yeah. You mean by better yeah, kids? and I have less of an impact. Me, but. No, absolutely. Have, yeah, have, make sure that your kids are aware of all of this and that you're bringing them up in a way which it's part of their everyday life that you look after, you know, you try to minimise your impact. But again, that's a good point because I'm not. I mean, mine are four and one, or nearly four and just one, and I'm I'm hiding it from them at the moment because I don't want it to, to scare, scare them. them. Yeah. And I will need to have a conversation a, about yeah. At what point do you yeah you know do you lump it in on the same day as Santa? <laughs> By the way, the world's also burning. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a tough one, but I think kids rem- are remarkable in terms of their. This, this the way they see it in such a simple way they're like of course you look after this mm. of course you do like just the amount of younger children that i've spoken to that are just they just see it so simply and they're just like oh yeah of course this is an important thing that we all need to do why aren't you doing that mm. like just from a child's perspective i think it, it, it you know it has no politic there's no politics there's no anything else there it's just very simple from a child's perspective, what is bad and what is good? Why shouldn't we just try to do all the good stuff? And mm. and, and again, that is pretty much the... I don't know. I just... I, uh, yeah, I think the younger generations get it a lot more because it doesn't require them to change. The problem is that... It, oh, that's a good point. Yeah. It, if you... Indo- not indoctrinate, that's a terrible word, but, you know, if, if, if it's part of who you are, you don't, you're not required to change and therefore it's not a difficult thing to do. Yeah. But the problem is that solving climate change at the moment requires a lot of people to start thinking differently and being aware of things and also some of it's changed, you know, to some extent, not completely, but changing the things that you do if you really want to try to and we solve live- it from a personal point of view. And again, like, but I, I just like to say a lot of that is like, who do you vote for yeah. or should you go and protest or should you know that sort of thing where do you bank and not just like whether you have a car or whether you take mm. extra flights or whatever you know. and and one of the things i'm most scared of passing on to my children if i talk about it to them in the wrong way or at the wrong time is my hopelessness yeah my fear yeah and part of that fear and part of that hopelessness is to do with the idea that no matter how much we in Britain all individually sort out our carbon footprints, if all of us stopped taking domestic flights, and I remember very, I remember that graphic of you know the relative amount of carbon you yourself are responsible for, and that's a great that's a great culture change thing to regard every to re, for everyone to start regarding themselves as having a certain carbon not debt but having a certain carbon responsibility. Yeah. And I remember the graphic of like the worst thing you can do yeah. is fly domestically. Yeah. And then it's like drive on your own and then it's flying domestically or something. So it's very surprising. Um, but the hopelessness that comes from thinking if, if I and everyone I know clean up our act, it won't make a difference. But is that a good reason not to do something? And, and it might, well, it's it might, a good reason it, to stay being afraid and let that lead to inactivity. It's not a good reason, but it's a like it's a like, reason. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a pathway I can visualise in the same way that I don't get up and run two miles every day. <laughs> um, with, with the best of intentions. Intention, Tomorrow yeah. I'm going to run two miles. Yeah. Get to that time. No, I'm actually not. But all of this is just 
different psychological ways of us tricking ourselves into either not worrying about it or not thinking that we are important about it when in actual fact, you know, where everything's so interconnected in the world at the moment. And you're to some extent you're right, but it's not like the, without getting into the science too much. So the West is far more, the average footprint of someone in the Western world is much higher than the average footprint of like someone in China. And so people will say... Is that just because there's more people in China to divide it by? Well, yes, but also then the, the average... So the person in China, what are they responsible for? So if everybody sure. lives a certain lifestyle, yeah. then their li- the average person's lifestyle in China is less impactful on the planet than yeah. someone, say, from the UK. Okay. So you need... People in China, on average, aren't as responsible for climate change as someone in the UK is. So it would make sense, certainly from an equity point of view, for people from Western countries to reduce their emissions towards the average emissions of someone from another place to show leadership and then say, well, let's all, we're all doing this to get, you know, sure. together. Yes. And. Mm, it's, it's hard because you, it's whether you talk about, you know, globally who's responsible at an aggregate level or whether you talk about it at an individual mm. level. And some people who say we should be talking about capitalism as being the main issue or whatever, it's not about people's individual stuff, it's about businesses. Mm. They'll also be the same people who say, yeah, but people in the West are responsible, the average person's responsible for five times more than the average person in a, you know, an East, uh, Asian country or something like that. So some of the arguments don't make sense from that point of view. Anyway, I'm getting really specific into like, how do you measure mm. emissions now? But I feel like, again, if it comes back to people and people being aware of their own impact, then we all have some, all you can, all you can do is have some control over your own actions. That is all you, in, in life, in every aspect of life, the only thing you can do is affect yourself and people within your own sphere of influence. And you either feel empowered by that and do something about it, or you do the opposite and say, well, what's the point then? Mm. And change will never come from just being like, well, I, I'm, you know... And, and so, I, you know, I, the point that I've tried to make in shows is that I, by, by going out and talking about this and doing this, other people have made decisions from hearing me talk about it that yeah. have changed their lives, which will then, they talk to other people, it will begin to, you know, it's society. We I don't took know, a nine and a half hour train from Aberdeen to Bristol rather than fly it in an hour, specifically because of your show. <laughs> Not that I'm asking for any, I, I, I'm, I'm saying that only and solely because your show did make that change to me. So now you get to snaffle up that carbon I'm, offset and use it, put it in your own bag. <laughs> I need to I need to make a list of these. I've had a few, I had a text earlier this year from Josie Long saying, oh, I've just cancelled our flight back from France to get a train because of you. Yeah. <laughs> and other people have been like, yeah, I've done this. I think Lou Sanders was like, oh yeah, I think she's got a bit of it in one of her new shows because she was like, there was a guy that was going to come across to visit her from 
New York for the weekend and I was like that's mad do you know how bad like and then talk to her about it and then she go like cancel and I, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing the bit yeah as a man on a mission uh-huh. do you have particular things that to you are more important to get across than others um I think just people understanding uh a bit more about how serious it is and a bit more about um what they can do like making as you said earlier like making people a bit more alarmed moving it for people who are like yeah i think that's probably a big problem we should probably do something about that i don't know anything about it to like go and inform yourself properly in some of this like greta thunberg for instance is one of the most incredibly informed people i've ever seen in terms of like she's actually read reports that i find boring Mm -hmm. in a huge amount of detail and quotes them and i'm like She's just a 16-year-old girl who's interested in it enough to go in and, and worried about it enough to go in and inform herself. And I feel like most people could be a lot more informed, but also you need people to fact-check stuff as well and not just, like, go with, oh, I read an article about this. This is happening. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, go and maybe speak to someone else and double-check your information and also where is the where's a good source of information for this and do you do you have particular kind of trusted sources that are accessible to the layperson that you could suggest i like next time i i've been kind of loftily saying to people well apparently 200 million years 200 million uh, refugees because my friend matt says and he is actually a climate change researcher but is is there a for people who aren't able to to do that text you? Yeah. <laughs> say, what was that number again? Find I'd say there should be some service where it's like your local climate scientist. You're able to text them and ask for an. Is this true? Yeah, sure. Um, this can't be. Oh no, it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> late night. I just put late night messages all the time. Um, yeah, there's a website called Carbon Brief that does a lot of. Uh, uh, sort of yeah they cut stuff down and make it a bit more accessible it's still some of it's still slightly inaccessible Mm. but i'd say it's like for an interested reader it's pretty pretty accessible um i'm trying to think where else is good then probably just popular science books and stuff like that as well Mm. uh is a good way of trying to get some of the information and then if you can stomach it things like the ipcc which is the intergovernmental panel on climate change there uh, it's kind of summary stuff that they have uh, actually in the uk so the committee on climate change in the uk which is one of the it's like the uk's independent climate change advisory body um, and i did some phd on them they actually the way that they write and the way that their documents are put together it's actually really exciting like they put up quite a bit of effort i think into trying to make it a little bit understandable mm. to people, mm-hmm. much more than the kind of UN stuff. Um, yeah, there should be sort, there should be better sources for people. And like, um, I think there's something called Climate Central that's pretty good as well. But yeah, it's so there's the understanding of this, this the seriousness of it, and and what's going to happen, and what is happening, and what's causing it, and all. So there's a bit of an understanding thing that I think comedy can really help with because it's quite difficult to take a lot of the, inf- a lot of the information is so heavy or difficult that you want to shut down yeah. when you hear it. So yeah. comedy. And you feel like people are trying to guilt you yeah. or you, yeah, exactly. you know, you All feel like someone's trying to win a personal yeah, argument exactly. with you and raise their own status by being right. Yeah. That's one of the hardest things. That's I mean, almost, that's one of the chinks in the armor, isn't it? Whereby 
people go like all of the things that Greta Thunberg has uh, yeah. Yeah. suffered with people going, oh, she's in the pocket of big business and or, you know, or yeah. she's being fed information from a certain political yeah. perspective. Like it, it is hard to see a way in which we won't. It's hard to see a way for me often. It's hard to see how we can succeed given the fact that we're not all on board with it anyway. Yeah. That's almost the most frightening thing. It's like we're in a we're in a lifeboat. It's on fire, and some of us are arguing that it isn't on fire. Yeah, I'd say that the number of people arguing that it isn't on fire is smaller than you think it is. That's good to know, and they, it doesn't really matter. Unfortunately, some of them also believe people who own the lifeboats or the fire equipment. I don't know where this analogy is. <laughs> but, you know, some people are more willing to believe someone that owns the lifeboats than they are the person who's saying the lifeboats on sure. fire, who yeah. has a degree in... Yeah, yeah. Of, you know, there's a, but I'd say it's a, a smaller percentage. I'd say most people are like... I mean, most people have eyes and ears and have experienced the last couple of years of living on planet Earth and are like, yeah, clearly this is an issue. I mean, yeah. Kim Kardashian tweeted a couple of days ago, like climate change is real and i was just like great this is like exactly the type of person yeah needs to be doing like yeah she can have a like such a reach on, in terms of people and people then have a go at her and be like oh but we'll stop flying in their private jets then and you're like yeah. well y- yes but also just get her on board for the first step to that this is important and if you can get her a bit further down the line on this to make you know this is you know potentially a huge she could have a huge impact in terms of people interested in so what a, i don't know what i want to take people away what i want people to take away because like i'd say i think comedy is a good way of t- talking about this mm-hmm. uh, and there's probably other good ways of talking about it and and making it an integral part of life it's not going to go away like i know that everybody kind of sees their own lives as this thing where they can just focus on their own life and what their house is and their own but it's not possible to do that. And, and for probably the rest of you are 30 now, like, you know, I'm in my thirties. This is going to take up the next solving. This is going to, t- and it's going to keep happening over the next 30 years of all of our lives. It's here and it's going to stay for quite a while. So you might as well try to be, try to ingrain it into who you are as a person and your own life and those of those around you, because by doing that, you'll be much. You'll help solve the problem a lot quicker, and create a society that can actually be aware enough and deal with the, the sorts of things that are going to get thrown at us over the next well. Yeah, I've uh, stay optimistic as well. I think would be you know, it is easy to not uh, to to get a bit downbeat on it. I think and. I think comedy is helpful for that as well, which is why I think it's a like I found that it's you know uh, people that have come to the show that the shows that I've done that have been already people that work like environmental you know campaigners or whatever that have come tend to there's a small percentage of them who just look at the graphs and don't laugh at the jokes, but there's a bigger percentage of people who are like oh. It feels good to laugh about this, yeah. Because I've never laughed about this at all, um, yeah. Because we all need to, as you say, like deal with it on a 
in different ways. And you can't think about it all the time, but if your job is to think about it all the time, then you do need some sort of a release. Well, let's finish it. with this then, with your own struggle for happiness, for yeah. balance, for sort of personal... I was quite worried because you always ask people if they're happy and I was like, uh, yeah. I just talk about climate change um, all the time. How, are you, how, how can I... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm coming at that question from a different angle in yeah. deference to that exact point. Slightly different. You know, it, it, it is, I know it has obsessed you in the past Yeah. and it's made you unhappy in the past. Yeah. And I... But so does comedy. I'm talking about comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you at the moment with the balance of um, optimism, happiness, and your two jobs? I, I, yeah, I don't. I think I'm okay. I, I took a month off over December, and I feel ref, a bit refreshed and a bit better about it. And I'm ready to start doing more stuff and getting back into it. But I imagine after another six months or so of that. Um, a year I might just be like this is really tough going like and it's hard because when you're doing comedy especially you don't feel like you can take a lot of time off you don't feel like you're always answering emails you're always thinking you know there's always ongoing things so if it's not climate change then it's some sort of admin about booking a show somewhere or Mm -hmm. coming on a podcast or whatever like I find I find that yeah I, I, I am doing two jobs and it, they're both quite stressful jobs. And I think it was good that I started in my 20s because I didn't notice it as much. But I think I'm at a stage now where I'm like, oh, this can get tough quite quickly. And if I'm not careful, yeah, uh, something, will, something will break and, and I need to yeah just be really kind of, on it and take regular breaks and try to be a bit more strict about like I have this day off that I need a day off from this and stop thinking about this but, um, but it's balancing that with actually yeah, trying to have a career and so, so it's it's kind of the same of as every other comedian has it's just that my I've just got an extra worry on top of all of that <laughs> and I'm thinking about the demise of civilization going forward I don't know. I'd like to say everything will be fine. I hope it will be. See you in 30 years. So that was Matt winning. Remember, if you're in the Insiders Club, there's 25 more minutes from Matt, including uh, his analysis. Is that fair? A brief exploration of the origins and the content of the infamous Bear Pit podcast podcast. Uh, if you are in the know, you'll be keen to hear that. All of that available at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. And thank you to everyone in the last couple of weeks who has joined the Insiders Club. It's fantastic to have you on board. I'm looking forward to uh, being in more close-knit communication with you. Thanks to everyone using the Slack app as well. I've been uh, uh, testing, <laughs> what's the phrase? A, B testing, A, B, C, D, A to Z testing. Uh, some ideas for the Edinburgh show on there. That gale, this is exciting. I don't know to what extent this recording device is picking up uh, the storm blowing around me, but uh, I hope all of you have been safe in your beds for the entire duration, <laughs> for all two and a half days of the storm, uh, if, you ha- if you are in fact listening in the UK. So that was Matt. Thank you to him for, for coming onto the show. You can catch up with Matt uh, at MattyWin85 on Twitter, which is a, a lovely folksy Twitter handle. Uh, MattyWin85 
uh, on Twitter. You can go to mattwinning.com to find out more about his stuff. He's got a TED talk, a TEDx talk. Uh, so you can take a look at that. I'm sure you can find that on YouTube because that's where they all seem to reside. Uh, and you can catch up with Matt's own podcast, Operation Earth on Acast and uh, presumably available everywhere else as well. Um, thank you to Matt. I, I guessed it on his podcast and it was harrowing. We worked out uh, my carbon footprint and thanks to some forthcoming shows in uh, South by Southwest in Texas and at the Cape Town International Comedy Festival. My carbon footprint is absolutely shocking. But on his podcast, some a little spoiler alert, some uh, horrible phrase spoiler alert in the context of us destroying the planet. But um, uh, Matt's advice, he's got some very unusual advice, uh, I thought, on how to carbon offset, which is basically... I'll let him tell it in his own words. So uh, listen to Operation Earth and you will hear. And I think I'm going to do it as well. It's basically working out what you would spend on carbon offsetting. And he suggests a different way of using that money that he thinks is more efficient and takes more personal responsibility uh, for your own carbon footprint. So check out Operation Earth. It's really funny and fun and horrifying, let's be honest. All of the extra stuff at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. That's all of Matt's uh, socials. I am at Stu Goldsmith on Twitter. Still living out my one joke every six months, guarantee. Uh, And at ComComPod on Twitter and Instagram if you'd like to hear more about the show or be kept abreast of uh, new... Uh, new guests, forthcoming guests, and what have you. Join the Facebook group as well. We've been doing some interesting polls in there recently about which shows people have found most exciting. And we've also been talking about... Um, do you remember last week? I, I sort of said so many... We'll go into the post-amble and we'll talk about this. That's it for now. Uh, thank you so much. I will post-amble at you. If you're new to the show, what that means is I'll have a little general uh, behind-the-scenes blurb in just a second after the noise of a horse. But uh, first, let's wrap up the official end of the episode. So thanks to Matt. Thank you to Nathan Wood for producing the show. Uh, your podcast consultant is, as ever, Peter Dobbing. Rob Smouton did the music. Jake Crossland logged the show. That is it for now. Next week, who's it going to be? Is it going to be uh, Ishan Akbar? Is it going to be Janie Godley? Is it going to be uh, two big profile people that I cannot wait to talk to that are coming up next? Who knows? Speak to you soon. So, yes, as I was saying, I mentioned the last week uh, the, the lovely emails I've been getting about people saying the show had changed their lives. I do have a list. I call it the nudge list, the list of um, people who over the last eight years have told me that in some way the podcast nudged them into taking their first steps in comedy. There's about 100 names on it. I've still got it somewhere. But uh, I'd love to hear something more specific from you. If you're someone who has had a, uh, if the podcast has had a big effect on your life, then please share that with the rest of us. Do you know what might be nice? I'm going to get round to this. There's some sort of website which is effectively, it's like having a phone number that you can leave a recorded message on and I can play it on the show. Let's do that and I'll set that up in time for next week. I'm not going to make that a blood oath, but I am going to plan to do it later on today. I'll try and set that up because it will be lovely to hear from you and uh, it would be fun to have some other voices on the show as well. So you, at the moment, you can email those to me, info at comedianscomedian.com or wait a week and we'll work out some sort of clever phone number system. I'm sure there's a way of doing it for free online. I mean, to be honest, you could just email me an MP3 from your phone. Ha <laughs> Problem solved. Thing taken off the list. Excellent. Um, that's all of that. Um, so... Two things I wanted to talk about. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Part of me, it did occur to me that on the on the subject of, of this interview with Matt, just to talk a bit about sort of hopelessness and environmental despair and how to remain optimistic in the face of... I, I talk in, in the new show about how 
What makes me angry is not individuals. It's when systems are broken, when systems don't work. You know, I mean, in this in the stupid mundane context of bank queues and things like that. But uh, it's uh, the environment is such a beautiful system. I mean, in terms of like the water table and the fact of, you know, manure being produced by cows and growing, you know, being fertilizer and then creating food that can be eaten by animals. Um, that that beauty, more so than, say, a thousand wasps devouring a locust, but um, <laughs> has a certain beauty all of its own. But it's such a beautiful system. And the idea that now we're bringing our children up to say, you know, we, I will need to say to the Boutros before too long, you know, everything's great. It's not really that great. And we're, we're, we've got this beautiful system and we as a species, and we have to take some personal responsibility in that, um, we as a species have not been doing this well and we've not been doing it smartly and we've been led by all sorts of greed and everything everything else. Oh, God, I'm sort of rehearsing now the speech I'm going to one day give him. And it will be a speech. I'll be wearing a crown. Um, but uh, I don't know. I don't know that I have much to say in the way of optimism. It very much depends on a daily basis how, how it's... Uh, how I feel about it. And I've had some shocking, I mean, you know, no need to write in on this one. I'm fine now. But last week I had two really bad mental health days in a row and really felt very, very bleak, not just about the environment, but none of that helped. Um, just so there's a little personal, if, if the key, as Matt was saying, the key to optimism is to, is to take personal responsibility for one's own carbon footprint, to take personal responsibility for one's own actions regarding the climate you know recycling even if it feels pointless but not being smug or self-righteous about it but just trying to make little changes because look at the end of the day if all we can do as individuals is vote in a government who actually give a shit who want to change something then even if it's hard to do that you can keep trying to do that and then at least you're trying at least you're trying to take some action then we can even if even if china are going to keep building coal-fired power stations then then at least we can try, 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 try to become some sort of beacon in the way that we always talk about Scandinavia and their healthcare and their the prison system in, is it in Sweden or, or in Norway? I think it's in Norway where prisoners kind of put on an island and given opportunities for self-respect and dignity and the recidivism rate is just slashed. It's so low compared to ours. There is then that thing for other nations to dream of, right? You can go, oh, wouldn't it be great if our prison system was like that? So... We have to take personal responsibility without feeling like solving it is our personal responsibility because that is, I think, when I start to get depressed about it all is when I think I can do nothing. Yeah, I personally cannot solve climate change, fine. But I can hope and try and contribute to an effort that tries to solve or ins- solve part of the problem or inspire, inspire other people to solve their part of the problem. You know, it's just about if, if you sat down and thought, if you sat down and thought, imagine all the time you've got to spend in the shower for the rest of your life. Not that I dislike it, but if you just tried waking up one morning and this is not a good environmental one, is it? Because showers aren't great. Oh, they're better than baths. Fine. Let's go with that. Um, if you had to think if you you'd never get in the shower, right? You'd think, oh, God, I can't possibly have whatever it is, you know, nine months solid showering. I can't do that today. Well, no, you can't. You don't have to do that today. Do it bit by bit. Is that a good message? I don't know. Um, look, we'll leave that bit there. The other thing I wanted to, to talk about was just to say thanks to everyone that came along to the writing gym at Angel. Now, I didn't mention this on the show. I mentioned it last week on uh, on the Facebook group. So another good reason to know about things like that, to join that. 
Um, at Angel Comedy, angelcomedy.co.uk, I believe, at the Bill Murray in uh, Islington in London, uh, they do all sorts of brilliant things to foster a sense of community uh, within the world of, of comedy. They are really good with kind of podcasting space. They have a green screen that you can film behind. I don't know how that's worked out, but it, it exists as a resource. You may need to uh, befriend the right people or apply or send them a polite email or what have you. I don't know how they do that. But one of the things they do is a writing gym on a Saturday from 12 till 3, and it has a different person leading it each time. And it strikes me, this is exactly what I would have wanted to set up. This is when I first came up with the idea for this podcast. It was because nothing like that really existed, nothing that I knew about. It's not how to do comedy. It's, okay, you do comedy. Let's try and get better at it. Let's just try and put some hours in. Let's go and punch some hams dangling in the the back of a refrigerated truck, but brackets in comedy. Um, And I just wanted to say thank you to every single person that came along to that. We had about 45 people there. Um, I think I was expecting the level. I thought it would mostly be people who'd done 50 gigs or more. There were 10 people who'd done 50 gigs or more and a lot more people who had done kind of five-ish or hadn't done any but wanted to or had done improv but wanted to do stand-up. And we really, I I just had so much fun. I hope it was as useful to you as it was fun for me. Um, I would definitely like to do more of that sort of thing in the future i don't know quite what i think i think the bits i got most out of were kind of live directing people as they did we did a thing with trying to work on act outs and trying to harness the creative energy of a sort of a creative crisis during an act out on stage and i just wanted to say thank you to everyone who worked so hard and kind of really gave and took risks in that uh, jake donaldson uh, dimple powell carla gordon uh, damon bamra izzy asquith and a bunch of other people those are just some of the names i managed to to glean as i was leaving um but i just wanted to thank you all for taking risks and making that such an inspiring experience i came away from that absolutely buzzing and uh, and I know lots of people there who had never done stand-up before felt very, very kind of electrified and like, whoa, look at all these possibilities. So absolutely great fun. And if you are a fan of working on your stuff, and if you're listening to this and you're a comic or a, uh, an aspiring comic, then I imagine that you are a fan of, in some way, working on your stuff, um, then I really, really recommend those. I can't speak to... I've never been to another one. I've never led one before. I hope to lead one again. Um, but they don't release the names of the, the, the what is it, the curator, the facilitator, um, until that week. So they've got their own Facebook group for that. So basically find out more about that. I, I, there's a post about it in the ComCom Facebook group, so you can link uh, to it from there. But really inspiring and fun. So thank you. Thank you to everyone that came to that. And thank you to you for listening. We've, uh, we've got some absolute crackers coming up, and uh, I'm going to go off and start administrating them now. Bye for now.